Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, we dive into your comments about the Winnipeg Jets forward group headed into the offseason. Plus, does Montreal's Stanley Cup final appearance lessen the blow of the Jets' sweep? But first, a word from our friends over at DraftKings. The basketball playoffs is down to the final four. The third round is in full swing. And DraftKings has their free-to-play pools ready for you. And a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each and every day. DraftKings free-to-play pools, super easy to enter. You just download the app, you go to pools, and that's pretty much it. You choose from a wide variety of free contests for a chance to win cash prizes. And all you have to do is answer questions as easy as who scores first, who hits the most threes, etc., etc. And up to 10k could be in your wallet right after that. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. We'll get right into the comments, your comments about the Jets forward group, the trades, free agents, all that to kick off today's episode. But first, we've got to touch on real quick, and there's no other way to put it, but just the utter insanity that is coming out in Montreal right now. I I tweeted it out, but my brain is still broken seeing the pictures and the videos. Montreal now sits just four wins away from winning the freaking Stanley Cup after the Canadian upset the Vegas Golden Knights. We can say upset because, you know, Vegas was the favorites going in. But to be fair to Montreal, they just flat out outplayed the Golden Knights and they earned that win through six games. And it's just crazy to think that because not too long ago, I don't know, like 15 games left in the regular season, Montreal was hanging on to a playoff spot with the Calgary Flames, the Flames of all teams. And then they were on death's doorstep against the Maple Leafs, and now they're the envy of basically the entire NHL. 
So I, I guess first it just shows, you know, how thin the margin of error is in the league. That, you know, a bounce here or there just completely rewrites the story and the narrative around the players, the teams, the GMs, etc., etc. But two things popped out to me about this run from Montreal that I think we can apply to Winnipeg here. One, does this lessen how devastating the sweep was to Montreal? And then two, what lessons could be learned from this so the Jets could, let's face it, be a much more competitive and hopefully find themselves closer to come contention team by next season? To the first point, I think it has to a little bit take the blow away after the Habs took down a legit juggernaut in Vegas, right? You know, you beat the Golden Knights, okay, now you're officially for real, for real. Interestingly enough, actually, longtime listener Sid pointed this out to me on Twitter, so thanks, Sid, that the last three times the Jets lost in the actual playoffs, not including the bubble in, uh, to the Calgary Flames, but the team that beat the Jets in the actual playoffs then went on to at least reach a cup final. Vegas, St. Louis, and now the Habs, which is just an interesting little tidbit there. So I think it does lessen it a little bit, and maybe it you know, dampers some of the flames of, of how hot and angry people were about, hey, the Jets are so far out of it. You know, They're never going to get back to contention when you can't even touch the Habs. I think, though, we should remember that in that series against Montreal, the Jets were clearly a class below the Habs. And, you know, ultimately the goal is, of course, to win the Stanley Cup, not to feel good about losing to one of the finalists. So, you know, yes, I think it lessens the blow a little bit, but I don't think, you know, Jets fans can just push aside what happened. Improvements definitely need to be made ahead of this upcoming season. The second point, though, is the most important one moving forward. How the Jets can either mirror or, or take what Montreal did and apply that to themselves to better them next season because, like we all know, we're the copycat league business in the NHL. First, I would, I would love to see Chevy come to camp bench pressing like 450 and, and showing Bergevin what's up in the weight room, right? But on the ice, what can the Jets do that Montreal did so successfully in their playoff run? Everyone's been pointing... Outside of Carey Price, obviously. But everyone's been pointing to the fact that Montreal's decor, maybe specifically their top four, is absolutely massive. They're mountain men that are just big and nasty and physical. And that, along with Carey Price, is why they are where they are and why they're so difficult to score on and difficult to beat. And there is some truth to that. And, you know, I'm not opposed to the Jets finding big defensemen this summer and, you know, becoming a little more difficult to play against. I have no problem with that. But I just feel like people are going about this the wrong way. It's not just that Montreal has a big defense core because, yes, Morrissey, DeMello, and Pionk aren't small, but you wouldn't call them big. But the Jets, I mean, Derek Forbert was a big dude, right? Logan Stanley is gigantic, and the Jets were still rough defensively. Not to blame either of those specifically, but there was some size here in Winnipeg last season and it didn't really do them a whole lot of good. And there's other teams out there that have big blue lines and they don't play as well as we've seen Montreal and, you know, even the Islanders as well defensively. But I think 
What Montreal has shown is that, let's just push the size argument away for a second. If you can supplement high-level goaltending with a major, major commitment to overall team defense, specifically calling out the forwards here, you're going to be tough as hell to beat on a given night, and, and you're probably going to go on a deep playoff run on top of that. So that, to me, is what needs to be mirrored by the Winnipeg Jets watching what Montreal is doing, not just let's get big on the back end, because it's it's not that simple. It's how can, as a five-man unit, we play the best defensive hockey possible? And you just see the commitment from the Montreal forwards getting back on the back check. And the Jets did it against Edmonton, too, to an extent, right? Like, I think they're capable of doing it here and there, but it's how can you replicate that each and every night? The Jets have that world-class goalie, so, I mean, surprisingly, they're one of the few teams that can, you know, fill that spot and check that box off. But now it's up to the coaching staff to get whatever five skaters on the ice for Winnipeg to play as cohesively, as tight, as stingy as we've seen the have so far. So, anyways, congrats to Montreal on a hell of a run. I'm a I'm a huge, huge Carey Price fan, so would love to see one of the true nice guys in the NHL get a ring. And let's face it, if Montreal wins, even if Montreal doesn't win at this point, maybe a Conn Smythe Trophy to boot on top of that. Let's switch gears now, though, from the Habs to the Jets. And we're doing a mailbag edition. Thought we'd have some fun to close out the week here. After Tuesday's episode, took a look at the Jets forwards and what to expect in the offseason. Wanted to know what you guys thought and get to some of your comments and questions. So thanks to everyone who participated and sent in, you know, their comments and everything. So that was much appreciated. Again, at Brandon underscore Rewiki on Twitter. And we'll definitely feature your comments on any of the upcoming episodes that we have, including next week's off-season look, which I'm sure everyone here in the city of the province has some strong thoughts on. We'll tease that one at the end of the show. But let's get to the comments now. And you know what? Why don't we start off with the juiciest one? Uh, longtime listener Ray, even back to the 1290 days, Ray was always calling in and, and, and talking with us. So love hearing from you, Ray. But at Skates Place Pod actually sent out a tweet um, because there's been some rumors as of late in the hockey world that, you know, maybe the Calgary Flames could move on from Matthew Kachuk. Sounds crazy, but that's some of the some of the talk that we've been hearing as of late. And just kind of threw out there the potential of a Matthew Kachuk trade to Winnipeg. You know, push aside the Shifley incident of that bubble run a, a little while ago. And I just wanted to see if, if people would be interested. What your thoughts were on it. Yay, nay, what could possibly be given up. All that. And Ray touched on that a little bit saying, you know, maybe it would be nice. But I don't know if the pieces fit necessarily. So I thought we would just take a quick look into, you know... Are the Jets and Flames potential trade partners if Matthew Kachuk came onto the block? I guess first and foremost, I know a lot of people hate this generation of Kachuks. Maybe all Kachuks with, with how they play. And they certainly get under the skin of the opposition. But it, look, let's just call it what it is. If Matthew Kachuk was on the Winnipeg Jets, he would be maybe the biggest fan favorite on the team. It's just the classic example of 
Love him when he's on your team. Hate him when he's playing against you and, and somewhere else. So there's no doubt that if he is available, you have to obviously do your, as Chevy says, your due diligence and, and see if there's a way you could poach a Matthew Kachuk onto the Winnipeg Jets. But, you know, I, I kind of mentioned to Ray that maybe there's two packages that Calgary would be interested in. One would be a future set it around Cole Perfetti. I don't know if that's really the case, though. I think if you're Calgary, you're probably looking, I guess, if, if, it, if there is a trade at all, to get some sort of equal value back maybe try to shake up how your forward group looks the other option though which is an interesting one that maybe you would just do a swap of left wingers right Matthew Kachuk for Kyle Connor end of story and I I wonder <laughs> I wonder what the uh if we did a poll on that what the split would be amongst Jets fans I I don't know I gotta be honest though I'd be kind of tempted if, if that trade was offered to Winnipeg Right? I mean, it's not like Matthew Kachuk is no slouch when it comes to goal scoring. I know Cal Connor certainly has the edge. He's way more dynamic and, and, and skilled offensively when it comes to just the the element of goal scoring, right? Beating goalies from distance with a shot, everything like that. But Kachuk, while it's not as pretty, it doesn't really matter if you're constantly putting the puck into the net. And then you take into account, all right, he is basically solid in every other aspect of the game we all know Kyle Connor has major major defensive deficiencies as of right now it's I don't expect it to happen whatsoever I don't think Calgary trades Matthew Kachuk at all but I would be really really interested in in Jets fans thoughts on this that if it was Connor for Kachuk straight up how many people would jump all over that the other thing to take into account and Andrew Hustler-Patterson of Winnipeg Sports Talk brought this up in our convo, is that after this year, Kachuk, I believe, in arbitration, his next contract would start at like $9 million or something like that. The qualifying offer, that's what it was. The qualifying offer would be around $9 million. So in a flat cap world, that's a pretty dicey situation. Maybe you're happy with the, the certainty that comes with Kyle Connor's $7 million cap it for the next couple of years. But either way, a fun, juicy topic to kick this bad boy off. Next, Byron the Bulldog asked, what would the Jets' potential top six look like if Paul Stasny leaves in free agency? Rough, rough. Thank you for that, Byron. Interesting and obviously kind of upsetting concept to bring up there because I would love to see Paul Stastny back but you know the harsh reality is that the Jets are going to be in tough to keep him even though you know he seems to like it here there's going to be a handful of cup contending teams that have a little bit more to offer when it comes to being closer to winning the ultimate prize than the Winnipeg Jets do so it's going to come down ultimately to, I think, maybe where Stasny feels like he's got the best shot to win. So there is a, a solid chance. I put it at 50-50. I, I might still lean towards that if he stays, if he goes. But let's look at, I guess, worst case scenario there. What do the Jets do in their top six if Paul Stasny ultimately leaves? Do they go in the trade market? Do they sign a free agent? I mean, we, we know what the... And, and there's the expansion draft too, obviously, with, you know, Cop. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with his contract negotiations and if he may or may not get moved. Also, Mason Appleton may be the prime target for the Seattle Kraken. 
So some some moving parts here. I mean, here's what we know for sure. For sure, for sure. Five of the six spots in the top six will be filled going into next season. We don't know the lines just yet necessarily. But we know that Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, and 99% sure Pierre-Luc Dubois are going to be five of the top six forwards here in Winnipeg. So you've got that part settled. If Andrew Cobb stays, I mean, he he certainly produced. That's not the issue. The other problem, though, would be if Mason Appleton gets poached, you know, do you maybe look at putting Lowry and Cobb back together so that way the third line is solidified? So there is a potential hole looming somewhere out there on the wing when it comes to the top six for the Jets next season if Stastny leaves. By the way, I don't think there should be any doubt that Pierre-Luc Dubois is a center going into next season, and that should be his spot all season long. I'll tell you one potential thought that's got me intrigued. And again, it has to do with the Montreal Canadien. But Cole Caulfield has been, without question one of their most impactful forwards. The most dynamic forward Montreal has had to offer so far. And clearly he's making an impact every time he steps out there on the ice. As a, as a kid, who I, he can't be more than 160 pounds and fresh out of college, just taking the NHL postseason by storm. Does it not maybe give you some thought that Cole Perfetti could do something similar next season. I'm not saying he's going to do the the Caulfield, the Makar, you know, step right in and boom, there you go. He's ready to, to go at, at the NHL level as a borderline all-star. But I don't know, guys. I'd be pretty damn intrigued to see Dubois, Ehlers, and Perfetti, for example, or, you know, however you want to go about the lineup there. there there is a ton of intrigue about possibly putting Cole Perfetti in a spot like that with some really, really skilled players and just seeing what the kid can do out there. Because if Cole Caulfield can come into the hardest setting possible, the rough and tumble postseason, and not only survive but thrive, maybe Cole Perfetti could do the same thing for the Jets next season. That's just something to keep an eye on here. A couple more here before we uh, call it wraps on today's episode. D. Sawa at D. Sawa asks, speaking of Pierre-Luc Dubois, what would be the best case scenario for Pierre-Luc Dubois next season? Cool. We go from a negative to a positive. So, I mean, hey, we know what a nightmare season for Pierre-Luc Dubois looks like. So we, we know what the floor is, but what would the ceiling be for Dubois next season? I mean, I would honestly have to say best case scenario would be that Pierre-Luc Dubois pushes Mark Scheifele for the number one center spot. I I don't know how likely that is, but I think that's a probable best-case scenario. And at that point, he would be, you know, pushing 70 points, maybe taking a run at at point-per-game status. And I think it's... Hey, look, if he's playing with Nikolai Ehlers for a large chunk of that, he's going to have a decent chance to put up a ton of points. So I think that would be... Yeah, you would have to say that's best case scenario is is Pierre-Luc Dubois giving Mark Scheifele everything he can handle for that. You know, if you wanted to go what a more realistic 
number might look like or a more realistic best case scenario outside of him completely blowing up like that. I mean, his best season as a pro in the regular season was a 61-point campaign a couple of years ago with Columbus. That was with Artemi Panarin out on his wing. You know, I, I think 65 to 70 points would be something that a lot of Jets fans would be ecstatic with. I think that would be, you know, a, a good number for him to reach. Obviously, that was 61 points as like a 19, 20-year-old. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, who just very recently turned 23 years old, I think anything over 60 points should be what he's capable of. 65 to 70, anywhere above 70, you'd have to be really, really impressed. And that would put the Jets in a really good spot next season. Finally, now this is a two-parter here, so we'll close things out with our man Dylan. Dylan wants to ask a little bit about the future here. First off, a draft-related question, actually. What should the Jets do with their first-round pick? We'll, we'll do a draft episode coming up here, so I won't unload the clip here. But I'll tell you what. I mean, I'm always, and especially once you're you know, where the Jets are, somewhere in that 10 to 20 range in the first round, I'm going best player available all day long. You know, and, and the Jets have, I would say forward is definitely the weak spot in the organization right now. We all know the defensemen that are coming up and, and hopefully they're the future. But look, if you're Kevin Cheveldayoff and there's a guy that you think is a no doubt about a top four defenseman moving forward, you 100% take that guy, right? Like, no questions asked, even if he is on the left side, for example. Because what it is, before they step onto the ice as a Winnipeg Jet, they're an asset. And if that player has a monster first year after their draft year, you can then use that asset or other assets in your organization to ultimately better the squad. And that's the goal when it comes to the draft, right? You want to draft and develop, obviously, but you also can use these assets to improve your team. So I'm going best player available. Who that guy is, we can get to that once we get closer to the NHL draft later this summer. But I'm also not opposed whatsoever to the Jets moving that pick. Um, I, I know there has been a a rise in, in Kevin Cheveldayoff moving first round picks or really any draft pick over these past couple of seasons. But look, there's just, I, I think the Cole Perfetti pick last year maybe lessens the need to, to hoard those, right? Because you have a really, really high-end player, especially at forward in your organization now. You still have a ton of really good defensive prospects to work with. I just think that it is absolutely mandatory. You're at a critical juncture in your organization's timeline to get back to contention status this season. And if that means, you know, somewhat throwing caution to the wind and moving futures for now, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever, as long as it's for the right piece, obviously. So what should the Jets do with the first round pick? Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind see it get traded to bring in somebody specifically on the blue line this upcoming season. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. I would lean towards that. Ultimately, though, I do expect Kevin Shelleyoff to make some kind of pick with that selection. The second part of Dylan's question, an interesting one, actually. We, we, we spoke about Cole Perfetti a little while earlier. Which Jets forward prospect outside of Cole Perfetti are you most excited about? 
We all know Cole Perfetti is the the diamond when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets prospect group, but who would be second is is something that I I find that question to be very interesting. So I mean I'll I'll kind of use a, a broad term for pros maybe not prospects but I'll I'll do youngsters because I want to include Jansen Harkins who is 24. He's only played a handful of NHL games though, so I'll include Harkins, Veselainen. Uh, David Gustafson, obviously, in that role. And then some of the other maybe lesser-known guys as to which prospect outside of Cole Perfetti would I be most excited about. You know, honestly, my initial answer to that is I'm not overly excited about any of them. Really. I, I like I, I do ultimately wonder just what the ceiling is for all of those players. Outside of the ones I mentioned, you know, maybe the the next most promising prospect would be Daniel Torgerson, who was the team's second round pick in the 2020 draft. He's a winger out of Sweden, a big, big kid, too, at 6'3", 200 pounds. I'll, I mean, I just haven't seen enough of him. I, I, I don't know enough about Daniel Torgerson to make a, an honest statement about where his game's at. But when you're talking about the the Gustafsons, the Harkins, and the Veselinans, which of those stand out? I would I would probably lean towards David Gustafson, and, and you know even then I'm not overly high on his game. But when you're talking Veselinan and Harkins, I mean Christian Veselinan at this point, yes he's got the size, yes he looks good when he's skating out there, you know physically. He's got a lot of what you would expect out of a high-end first-round forward prospect. But he's got two points in 17 NHL games. We all know that the AHL numbers have been subpar as well, although much improved over his last couple of stints in the AHL. I, I just don't know if it's going to be there for Christian Veselainen at the NHL level. I mean, maybe realistically moving forward, you're talking about an impact fourth liner, but I, I just don't think he's ever going to crack a top six. And then I wonder about, you know, is he going to be strong enough defensively on a, a quote unquote checking line? I, I just don't know. I, I think, I think he might be one of those tweeners that, you know, really good in the AHL, but just can't quite crack the upper echelon when it comes to playing regularly and making an impact at the NHL level. Jansen Harkins, I, I, I kind of put in that same mold, although obviously, you know, a second round pick still drafted high, just not as high as Veselainen was. Maybe a little more hope than Veselainen for me with Jansen Harkins. But, you know, I hear all this talk that, hey, if Mason Appleton gets taken in the expansion draft, no worries. Jansen Harkins can just come in and fill that void. I, I don't think I see it that way at all. I, I mean, it's rare to have guys come in and basically be half a point a game players when they're only getting 14 minutes a night and not a lot of power play time on top of that. I mean, again, Jansen Harkins, two points in 26 games this past season. Yes, he was on that much beleaguered fourth line with Nate Thompson and company, but I mean, Nate Thompson had at least five points in 44 games. Trevor Lewis had 10 points in 56 games, right? Like, they produced a lot more than Jansen Harkins did. So, again, I, I don't think he's going to be even the player that Mason Appleton is, let alone somebody that skates higher up in the lineup. Again, you're probably looking at 
I mean, I think Jensen Erkins is, is a replacement player, right? Like he is an average fourth line guy. Maybe Christian Veselainen a little bit below that. I, I just think those two ultimately, when we're talking about a championship team, I don't think you want either of those guys playing significant minutes on your third line. Fourth line, I'd be willing to see what they could do over the course of a season. Maybe they've improved going into next year and give the Jets a bit of a spark on a fourth line if they ever get the chance. Which then brings us to David Gustafson. You know, and maybe I'm just harder on him than a lot of people. I know a lot of people like David Gustafson's game. I just ultimately wonder if if the skill is going to be there for him. I just, I think he struggles handling the puck. I think he struggles with some of the the fine-tuned aspects of being a pro at the NHL level. You know, receiving passes, making quick passes. All that little stuff that I think we take for granted watching the game. I, I just don't know if he has that at a super high level. Now, defensively, he's got that figured out. Awareness and smarts, very capable when it comes to that. I think he's definitely an NHL player. I just don't know if I see third line center out of David Gustafson. I would love to be proved wrong. And you know what? I, I, I probably will be because again, he is only 21 years old, but I think David Gustafson is just a really, really good fourth line center. And that still holds a ton of value, right? Like Brian Boyle had a hell of a career as a, as a supercharged fourth line centerman. Now Gustafson doesn't play the same style, but maybe he could fill a, a similar role with the Jets. So I would probably give him the slight edge over Harkins and Veselainen as the most exciting forward youngster in the Jets organization outside of Cole Perfetti. But you know what, Dylan? I kind of got to go back to your first point about what the Jets should do with that first round pick. Maybe now after doing this discussion, I may lean towards keeping it and selecting a forward prospect so that things look a little more rosy on that front. I mean, that that's a fair point after going through some, some pretty barren cupboards on the Winnipeg Jets side of things. Uh, it makes for a hell of a discussion, though. I'll tell you what, though. If the Jets do move that first-round pick, you better be getting somebody impactful coming back because, yeah, you know what? After going through it, the Jets could certainly use some help in that regard to go along with everyone's favorite 19-year-old, Mr. Cole Perfetti. So that's it. That wraps up the mailbag. Thanks for you guys that participated. And that also wraps up the episode. So we're done here. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We're going to get back at it on Tuesday, continuing our off-season talk. Forwards this past week, we'll get into everyone's favorite topic, the hot-button issue that surrounds the Winnipeg Jets right now, from forwards to the defense core. This is the part of the team that everybody has a really, really strong opinion on, and to be honest, it's only going to get strengthened. I think after what we've seen Montreal and the Islanders do so far this postseason, will talk size. Are the Jets big enough, mean enough? Do they need to add in that regard? Is Josh Morrissey going to get back to the player he was a few seasons ago? Neil Pionk is due for a big-time payday. We'll see what his cap hit could be. And then we got to talk expansion draft for one, Stanley or DeMello, and then who could be the names, the big names, that the Jets could target free agency or trade to make this defense much more formidable than it has in the past couple of seasons. We'll get into all of that on Tuesday's episode when we return. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. 
I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, back on Tuesday. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Peace.